Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I was always a dreamer. I always saw a life beyond the life that I had as a child. It was like a big flashing light. This is what you're supposed to do. Everybody poo-pooed the idea. That work said it couldn't be done. You're in that zone, and it's that out-of-body experience where it just, everything clicks. Sometimes you have those dark moments. I was so depressed when I got fired. I was so mad. People don't need to be afraid to fail. And again, that, that's where you learn. You don't shouldn't be afraid of adversity. You know, that that is the thing that, that makes you strong. This is Jerry Levias. This is Jody Markell. This is Chi Yun. This is Dick Vitale, and you're listening to American Achievers. Welcome to American Achievers, the podcast that celebrates ambition, commitment to excellence, risk-taking, and tenacity on the road to success. I'm Keith Dunavant. Some of my guests are world-famous. Some are rather obscure. Our weekly lineup includes entrepreneurs, athletes, military heroes, civic leaders, artists, and media figures. What they all have in common is a sense of undeniable purpose and an intriguing story that reflects the power of the American dream. You might be surprised by how many people are successful because they've learned to harness the power of fear. They don't avoid it. They don't try to mitigate it. They seek it and exploit it. This week's guest provides a good example. She grew up in an artistic family and always felt the tug of her own creative impulse. But something in her was unfulfilled, and she didn't find her true calling until her late 20s. More than a decade later, she has achieved success on her own terms, having turned her passion into a business. People throughout the Atlanta area and beyond pay handsomely for one of her creations. And she will gladly tell you that the secret of her success isn't so much her incredible artistic talent. It's the fear that enables it. Meet Bonnie Bettingfield, the cake lady. Bonnie, tell me about your family and how they shaped your artistic sensibilities. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think that I'm very fortunate to have come from a background of artists. And I, I would say everyone. My mom isn't an artist, but my brother and my sister and my father are. I would say that my mom has a special way of helping us all hone in our artistic skills. And I think that she was a huge catalyst for all of us having success in one way or another in that field. Um, I was never told that I couldn't achieve anything artistically because I'd seen my father succeed. I'd seen my brother succeed. And I didn't think one way or another that I couldn't. And I think that's, in other people's stories and people that I've talked to and other artists, there's usually somebody that says, you shouldn't do that. You can't make money. You can't be successful. You know, try to find a different path, especially musicians, I think, at the short end of the stick. So I'm fortunate that my family supports going after something that you feel should be what your your path is, that you should follow your path. 
And tell everybody what your father did, because he had a very unusual <clears throat> path. Yes, he was a political cartoonist for years and years, and um, he stumbled into doing cartoons for You Might Be a Redneck If by Jeff Foxworthy. So that was kind of his claim to fame. And your mother was a beloved <laughs> kindergarten teacher in this community in Noonan, Georgia, and she ended up uh, taking on something that, it, that was perfect for her. Yes, my parents are polar opposites. Dad creating his cartoons, and Mom was a cotillion teacher, so she taught manners, which is something that people in our community kind of laugh about because he, uh, we would say that Dad was the before cotillion and Mom was the after. So, yeah, it's quite the dynamic in our house. And it seems to me that what you were getting at a minute ago was that you grew up in an environment in which you didn't, you weren't taught to fear failure. Right. It just wasn't even a question, really. I didn't think about it. It's just you, you pursued your dream and you went for it. I don't, I, I never had any doubt. I knew as a very young child what I wanted to be in life. I didn't know specifically that I would fall into cakes by any means, but if you had asked me at four what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would say, I want to be an artist. I want to create. And then there was never any question. It was just there. So that's what I pursued. What was it about art that attracted you, about the creation process as a, as a young girl? I don't even know that it was the creation process. I think it's an innate thing in my being that drew me to it. I can't, I can't say that it's anything external. It came from an internal place, and I feel like I was born with it. If that makes any sense. You started off in a, in a much more traditional way. What were you doing? Just drawing. I mean, I could spend days drawing as a child. And I would I would just sit, and that's kind of how I would play. I would draw. I mean, obviously, I would do the normal other kid things, like play with Barbies and outside. But if I could have my choice, I would be sitting with some crayons and pencils and paper and sit there and do that all day. When was When did the moment come in which you married this idea of cakes and artistry? <laughs> it was completely by accident. I, I painted, and I actually, for a short amount of time, ran an art studio and taught art to children after school. And I, when I found out I was expecting my first daughter, I couldn't paint anymore because it's toxic. And somebody asked me to make a cake. And I did, and I thought, this is equally as enjoyable, and the sa I get the same emotional rush making a cake than I do painting something. And it wasn't anything extravagant, but there was some effort put in there that was more than what I call a granny cake. So um, I thought, my gosh, I want to do this more. How can I do this more? And it completely snowballed from there, and I never looked back. So it was kind of a everything just turned itself on its head and I went in a different direction, but with the same artistic, I can't think of the right word for it, but I was, I was fulfilled in the same way. And so what was the first artistic cake that you made? <laughs> How about the first sculpted cake that I made, which is interesting because I went, I went to art school and I majored in studio art and I painted I did everything I could to avoid three-dimensional art. 
I didn't enjoy it. Something about it just didn't, I was almost, I don't want to say repulsed, but I, there was, I was repelled from it for some reason. And it didn't occur to me until recently that I don't like the feel of clay. And people ask me all the time, why don't you make your work permanent? Well, I don't, there's the texture of the clay, the dryness of it. I just remember sitting in those dark, cold rooms in the art building, and there was nothing warm about it. And I think that sculpting in a medium that smells good and it tastes good and you're in the warmth of your kitchen, that that was a game changer. But yeah, I didn't I didn't care for it. And it's funny that that's what I wound up doing. So the first sculpted cake I did was Nemo, and I, I made it for my niece. And when I finished, I thought, I can't believe that I just did that. And I loved every second of it. So that that actually was the game changer cake for me. And what was it about that process that lit you up inside? That I was, I, I wish that I could think of the right word for it, but it was a fulfillment. It was something that I was missing that I wasn't, I, I did feel it when I painted, but it's almost like it's harder than painting to me so I felt like I was really raising the bar and growing in my skills to be able to take something that, you know, it's one thing to sculpt out of a different medium, but when you have to consider it being food safe, using only food safe material, there are all of these stipulations. And I think the challenge of making it all happen under those conditions is something that I need. I like that challenge. Did you feel the the gratification, the validation immediately? That was the word I was looking for. Gratification and validation. Yes, absolutely, or else I wouldn't be doing it. I, I, there was very much, it was gratifying. Thank you for finding the word for me. Yes. What were the steps in which it took to you for you to eventually say, okay, I want to make this a business? Oh, I knew it from the beginning. But as an artist, that side of the brain isn't, the, isn't my strongest point. So I, uh, you know, everybody faces some sort of fear in what they're doing. Mine was not on the creative side. Mine was on the business side. I don't know how to run a business. I don't really like dealing with things like that. So I kind of put it off and put it off and I would keep accepting orders and it got to a point for me where I was I was in the danger zone of I either need to make this a business or I need to stop. So <clears throat> I talked to my husband about it and he said you just need to go ahead and do it. So I started researching, you know, how because this is something that I do in my house and when you're working with food safety, I thought my gosh, I'm going to have to get a commercial kitchen on our property and do I really want to go that far with it? And is that going to take me away? You know, my number one thing is everything needs to fit in my bubble of I'm a mom of three first. And I'm also an entrepreneur. And I'm also, all, I wear all of these hats. But I needed to find a way to be able to have all of these things happen cohesively. So I, I found that I could have a cottage license and work out of my home and do this in the kitchen and at the dining room table and still be able to wear all of my other hats. And having three <laughs> small children when you're starting out, I mean, I mean, how in the world? Well, 
It, they learned very quickly not to touch, not to taste, not to put their hand through the cake. I did have one wedding cake where my son crawled up on the table the night before it was going out and literally stuck his fist through the center of it and started eating it. And I called my sister and I begged her to come over and help me remake this cake from scratch and get it out the next day. So they've all had a learning experience of, you know, when to leave me alone when when they can be around and 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 they actually like to help me in some ways and my oldest is old enough that she can help me so um it's a dynamic but i do a lot of my work at night and when they're asleep how'd you meet your husband <laughs> well i'm going to preface this by saying <clears throat> that when i was in high school uh my senior year in high school i was dating a boy at the naval academy who <laughs> i feel like it's funny to say now I hear that he trains pilots at Top Gun. Now that's his job. Um, and he's doing great. Um, but my husband, Jason, <clears throat> delivered a pizza to our house. And I, I wasn't there the first time, but apparently my dad stumbled and gave him a $20 tip. So the next time we ordered a pizza, Jason paid off the other driver to take this pizza in hopes of getting another big tip. Uh, lo and behold, I answered the door and gave him a dollar. <laughs> but out of that, I got a husband. So um, I kept ordering pizzas on a nightly basis. And my parents were like, what are you doing? And who is this guy? And he's got long hair. And he's a pizza delivery boy. You know, I've gone from one extreme to the other, so to speak, in, in male interest and uh, it's kind of funny because after we had been dating for a while, it took a while for my family to kind of see what I've always seen in Jason. They they didn't see the potential there. He's wildly successful now, but my dad, he asked if, if we could get married, and my parents said no more than once. They said no twice, I'm pretty sure. And finally, my dad said, cut your hair and get a degree, and you can put a ring on the finger. And on that on the way home that night, he went and cut all of his hair off. <laughs> and enrolled himself in school, which is what he was delivering pizzas to do. He was going back to school, just having to pay for it by himself. He didn't want student loans. So I married my pizza boy, the man of my dreams, and we're living the dream now. So it's pretty cool. And let's talk about your process. How do you start? Well, I'll, I do as much as I can ahead of time. If I have a really big cake that I'm working on, all of the details that I can knock out ahead of time, I do. The cake is very last thing. So it's the last two days before it's due that the cake part happens. So um, it's it's finicky. It's a finicky process, and there's a lot to worry about. And there are a lot of factors like humidity and heat and timing and uh, temperature and, oh my gosh, the traveling aspect of it. There's a, a lot that goes into it that I have to be mindful of when I'm creating it and make sure that I have everything lined up and precise and ready to go and do as much as I can ahead of time. But a, a <clears throat> client comes to you with a general idea. I want a cape of, you know, of this, right? Mm -hmm. How does that work? Well, sometimes, um, a lot of times people will come and say, yes, I need, I need something specific. And they'll show me ideas of what they want. And then we'll kind of go from there. And then we talk about price point and all of that, because usually people have different ideas of how much they want to spend on something that's creative in this way. Um, and then I have 
really my big pieces that you'll see, like the five and a half foot genie coming out of a bottle, the deer mounted on the wall. Um, By the way, if search the deer on the that wall. one's my favorite. <laughs> that one's my favorite. But that is a was... cake is just incredible to me. <clears throat> that was the most fearful, and I think that it, that's why I like it the most. But those are the ones where the client said, here's my budget. I want you to do what you want to do. You have full creative reign over. Now, how liberating is oh, that? Oh, my gosh. That's like the biggest gift you can be given. I mean, I don't. I don't think there's anything greater than that because... There are there are a lot of times somebody will come to you and say, I want this. Well, as an artist, I can look at it and say, I can feel it or I don't feel it. And when you have to make something that you can't get into, those are really difficult to, to complete. And, and I do, but they don't come as naturally to me as something that that really grabs my eye and my attention and I want to research it and I want to, you know. And also I love cakes where... I can't find them on the internet. They've never been done before. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to fail. I don't know how to create the structure. I don't know anything about it because there is a lot of information out there. So when I get to cakes that I'm clueless, those are the ones that I like because I have to immerse myself in the process. Because you like to chase something that scares you, right? Yeah. I didn't think that that was how, how my personality worked, but... I've learned that that is a huge driving force in everything that I do. You know, there are kind of two people, two kinds of people in the world, those who seek security and those who seek challenge. Mm -hmm. Why are you the the type who seeks challenge? It's interesting because I would say in the rest of my life, on the other half of my life, I seek security, which is why this is so strange for me because I don't at all. And it, it took me some thinking and some analyzing of my process and everything that goes on to realize that I actually don't do well unless I'm challenged and unless I'm in fearful. I, and I like to be out of my comfort box and just, because when you do achieve it, there's nothing greater than thinking there's no way I can do this. And then you're done and you think, oh my gosh, what else can I do if I'm capable of this? And where does that come from in you? I guess it's just an innate, I mean, it's like I said at the beginning, it's something that's always been there. And I just didn't know it until I had these opportunities. What has been the biggest challenge, the one that that scared you the most? (laughs) The deer, for sure. It's coming out of a wall, so... Seriously, look for this. Go to beautifullybakedbybonnie.com, right? Yes. See this. <clears throat> you will not believe it. Yeah, it it I didn't know how to do it. It's funny. I <laughs> researched taxidermy and that was completely disgusting and interesting all at the same time. I looked at how they they made these they use mannequins. And so I actually bought a mannequin and I had Jason, my husband, built the structure where the deer was going to hang. And he he helps me with a lot of the big structural stuff, making sure everything is safe and sound. And um, we, I, I hung up the mannequins side by side. I researched deer. I didn't know anything about bucks. Um, and I just, 
I was able to take my time. A lot of these big cakes that you see are actually modeling chocolate. Their faces are going to be modeling chocolate. Now, if the client wants me to do cake all the way through, I will. It just depends on the situation. I knew that this cake had to drive in the car for approximately three hours. So I also had that challenge, which I think was a huge fear in this in that whole situation. Um, but I, I use the modeling chocolate. I use Rice Krispie Treats. Sometimes there's aluminum foil and marshmallows. Everything has to be food safe. So coming up with how I'm going to do this, how it's going to work, how it's going to travel. I wanted it to be life-size. There were all of these elements, and I thought, oh my gosh, if this, if this actually works, this will be probably the greatest thing I've ever done. And it did. And we, we loaded it up in the car, and we were driving it down to America's Georgia. And we got about less than a mile, and he started tipping and I thought, we've got to go another two hours and 58 minutes. I'm not going to, I mean, you're just going to have to knock me out until we get there because I can't handle it. So we pulled over and somebody else pulled over behind us and they were like, what is in your car? What is in the van? We had taken all the seats out and slid it in and um, they came around and they were like, oh, wow, you've got a deer mounted to this thing. And where are you going with it? And my husband said, no, that's cake. And they were shocked. They were like, do you have a card? I've never seen anything like this. So um, long story short, we buckled this thing in. We had to use every seatbelt in there. We were tucking and tying and finally got it really secure. And, and we made it and got it set up. And it was just the biggest relief because there's nothing worse than putting your, I mean, I don't know how many hours, well over a hundred hours into a cake or into a sculpture and then it crashes. I mean, and that has happened unfortunately to me before, but uh, we can get into that if you want to. Yeah. Tell me that story. Oh, well, luckily it wasn't for a client. It was for my brother. It was going to be a surprise at, at the Boyd gallery. It's a local art gallery in our town. And he was doing a, a Christmas show there, and I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I made <clears throat> the the leg lamp from the Christmas story? And fragile, <laughs> fragile, yeah, it was. It was fragile, so I found out. Um, I I put everything together. I got it in the car. Everything was ready to go. And meanwhile, I feel like I should say this. I had a giant wedding that day, so my focus was more on the wedding cake than it was this thing. And I called David, and I said, I can't do it. I can't make it happen. I've got too much going on. I mean, December is just crazy anyway. And so I called him and said, no, I changed my mind. I'm going to do it. I'll, I'll have it there. And I called him again. No, I don't have time for this. I'm not going to do it. Finally, I thought, just do it or don't. Just quit messing around. You've already made most of it. Just finish it. So I, I just gave everything I had to this cake and I finished it. I got it in the car just in time. I was going to make it to the gallery before it opened, loaded it up. I got to the same exact place as I did with the deer cake and I heard it crash. And I looked back and that leg was hanging off the side of the post that it was running through. And I called David and said, I'm really not going to make it. The cake didn't make it. I'm going to go home and have a drink. And he said, I don't blame you. So uh, my goal is to recreate that cake and make it work, but have more time to know what I'm doing because it was a structural problem that caused it. I'm glad Darren <clears throat> McGavin wasn't around to see that. <laughs> so 
When you create something, you spend, you, you throw your heart and soul into doing this for days and sometimes weeks, right? In the planning mm-hmm. and stages and all this. Oh, I'll spend a year planning. Mm-hmm. A year. Mm-hmm. A year planning something. And you know that once you get it there and people start cutting into it, mm-hmm. it's gone. I'm okay with that. How can you be okay with that? <laughs> because I know as I'm creating it that that's the end game. And I kind of like that. I don't know why, but I like that uh, you won't ever see it again except for in picture form. My dad gives me such a hard time about this. You need to be doing stuff that'll be around forever, and this is your legacy. And and I do understand that, and that's why usually when you see my my bigger pieces, like Ray Charles, okay, his head is in the basement, the um the first sculpted dog cake that I did for the Boyd Gallery, his head is in the basement. They self-preserve, so not they're not entirely gone. If I can save a bit of it, I will. And Explain I'll, that. How do you do that? <clears throat> well, they're made of modeling chocolate, the faces usually, unless the client asks for cake. If A lot of these were my own cakes that I got to choose what I was doing, so I've been able to save them. Um, but you, I just literally remove their heads and put them on a shelf. And then I bring them out at Halloween and I scare the kids who come trick or treating. (laughs) So it's kind of, uh, you know, I do get to save some of them, but I like that you can't say about any other art form that you can use all of your senses to enjoy it. And this is one of those things that you can. So I think that's what makes it special. You can't do that with any other kind of art. You're listening to American Achievers. Stay tuned for more conversation. So you start with an idea, Mm -hmm. and then do you make a sketch? Sometimes. Sometimes that's in my head. I probably should sketch it out. Now, if it's, I would say for the people who know what they want, I usually do a sketch for them so that they can have an idea. But, you know, I'm thinking about it, and I would say the majority of the sculpted cakes that I'm asked to do, they will either give me an idea or tell me, um, you know, do what you want to do, or give me the idea, and within that idea, I don't care what you do, I know you're going to make it great. So they don't necessarily want to see a sketch. So if the sketch happens, it's because they want to see it. But I would say the majority of the time, no, I've got a vision in my head, and I do a lot of research. So I've got, I use Pinterest a lot. I use, I get boards going of things that inspire me, um, different ideas, different textures, different, um, when I did Ray Charles, I had like 500 pictures of Ray Charles that I would use. So, you know, I, I kind of have a library of things that I look at. And how long <clears throat> does it take you to sculpt and bake, so to speak? Oh, the baking process. It's always longer. The whole thing is always more time than I expect it to be. Usually I spend, if it's a big cake, it'll take me two days to bake everything and a whole day of just making icings and fillings. 
So that that's about a three-day thing. Now, with the actual decorating process, it's hit or miss. I keep referring to Ray Charles because it was kind of my most recent cake. I gave myself a two-week period to <clears throat> sculpt his likeness, and then three days or two days before, I would do the actual cake part. I sat down and was able to do his face in three hours, and I was done. That's never happened before. I mean, I had given myself two weeks, and it took me three hours. So it just, it, you can't really, there's no way to tell how long it's going to take. But if I can use as much time as possible, I'm better off that way. What do you think your uh, experience symbolizes about the American dream? Oh, gosh. I Everything. I mean, especially as a woman, you know, uh, I do... Um, I have to think in terms of priorities for me, um, but just to be able to be a woman business owner, I, you know, I'm aware of that. I'm aware that a lot of women before me did not have that opportunity, and to be supported in that realm is really an amazing thing, and to be recognized for it is even more special. So, you know. To have the liberty to do that is, I'm grateful for the opportunity. What was the one <clears throat> reaction from a client or from somebody at a party or something that really touched you about your work? There are so many, I can't even tell you. And that, I think that's the thing that, that keeps me going is the reactions to it. Because I'm sitting there all day long with these cakes and I think, gosh, this this isn't as great as I thought it would be or whatever. And then I get it to the site and nine times out of 10, it's, that's not cake. That can't be cake. That's cake. Are you kidding me? And then they eat it. It tastes as good as it looks. And to me, that is the greatest of all the compliments because that's just as important to me as the actual creation. They are one. So it should taste as good as it looks. So those those are the things that drive me, actually. Do you do it for you or do you do it for them? A little bit of both. Definitely a little bit of both. Uh, I need a creative outlet. I just do. I, I think that I always, when I'm not working, something is off with me in, in a certain extent. I need that outlet. And that people appreciate it is very gratifying and, and I'm grateful for it. So knowing that it's going to be seen and enjoyed and eaten, um, you know, that's the part that I do for them, especially the eaten part. I'm not going to eat it. So, uh, you know, I want it to be enjoyed on that end. What is it about being on the cutting edge of something that's both a product and a work of art that energizes you? I don't even think about it as a product. I think about it as an art piece, and I leave the rest of that to the side. I think if I thought of it as a product, it would change how I felt about the whole process, really. I like to stay in my little artistic, creative bubble and work with that energy, so to speak, if that makes sense. When did you first begin to realize the connection between hard work and achievement? 
Um, it was apparent from, from the beginning of the first cake that almost killed me. <laughs> you learned very quickly that, th- that those struggles are worth it in the end because you've achieved something that you thought was either impossible or would never end. Um, and even even on the small little cakes, I would mentioned to you earlier that I had gone from sculpting this crazy thing to last night I had to just make a very simple first birthday cake for a little girl. And I thought, everything is going wrong with this. I couldn't get it together. It should have taken me maybe three or four hours to to create this small little cute cake. And it took me 11 or 12 hours. But boy, when I was done, I was equally as satisfied with it as I would have been with anything else that I've done. So yeah, hard work equals achievement every time. To those young people today who maybe for whatever reason don't see opportunity in the country, what would you say to them? Create your own opportunity just go for it and don't, but I'm, I'm not one to, <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse. I don't think ahead. I'm in the moment. And so what, something that my parents told me that I have kept with me forever is you find something that you're good at, that makes you happy and that drives you and you become the very best at it. I don't think about the rest of it. I think about that one driving force in me. And to me, that's kind of a God thing. It's like you can tell when you're on your path and when you're not. I've very much been off of my path before, and it affected me in every way that you could imagine. And I veered myself back onto this path of, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm doing it. And I'm not thinking about all of the distracting things around me of even my inner monologue, limiting beliefs or anything like that. I'm not thinking about where are the opportunities or where are the people who are going to buy these cakes or where, you know, who's going to support this and support that. I just do it. And it's interesting. I also believe on a human level that what you put out there, you receive in return. And so my mindset has always been in life. I'm a happy person and I try to never leave a place without making somebody else happy. Just naturally. That's what I do. So in my cake world, it's kind of the same thing. I put it out there. I give in my energy and I offer it and it comes back tenfold. So that's kind of how I process all of this. Tell me about that struggle about not being on the right path. <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I felt that in my business life because I've known, I've learned from life life what feeling off the path is. And so when I started doing this, I always listened to my gut. This feels right. This doesn't feel right. Even with clients, and I, I maybe I shouldn't say this, but you can tell when, when you're working with somebody and the energy's just off, then sometimes it's better to say, I don't think that I'm the person for you. I think that maybe I can offer you another wonderful cake artist that would be able to give you what you're looking for. So I have in my business life had to rely on the gut instinct, especially when you're working with brides, (laughs) (laughs) you know, maybe I'm not the right person because I don't want to go into making somebody's wedding cake where I, 
I'm feeling negative towards it. I don't think that's fair to me, and I don't think that that's fair to them. So luckily, I'm to a point now where I can say yes or no and and be okay with it. That's another thing, learning how to say no, because, I mean, I'll be booked like you couldn't believe. I'll already be putting in 16 to 18-hour days, and then somebody will say, can you just squeeze in one more cake for me? And forever I would say yes, and it almost killed me. And so I've learned that, <clears throat> again, not fair to me, not fair to them, not fair to the other person whose cake I'm trying to make. I want to be able to give 100%, and I don't let a cake leave my care unless it is exactly how I want it to be. So there have been nights where I didn't sleep at all because I've started over because it wasn't good enough. It wasn't the right color or the texture was wrong or whatever. I'll start over from scratch if I have to. So I have a really strong work ethic and it must be, it's got my name on it, you know? So it must be perfect. What's the most important thing you've learned about yourself out of this business? <laughs> there are a lot of things. Um, the biggest for me is that I can run a business. I always just thought, oh, I'm artsy and creative. And I don't I always joke. I don't have that side of the brain. And I'm only on this side. And I can't count. And I can't spell. And I can't do math. Well, it's... <laughs> That kind of feeds into this. I get asked to speak at, at schools a lot, and I go in and say, how many are, of you are artists, and how many of you are like math, and how many of you do this and that? And you know, they'll raise their hands, and I'll say, well, I always knew that I was going to be an artist, and I thought, I don't need to learn math, and I don't need to learn how to do this and that, and I don't need science, and I don't need... Well, it turns out in my line of work, I need every single one of those things. So I think that I've learned that, yes, I am capable. I'm capable of running a business. I'm capable of doing all of those things that belong on the other side of the brain that I joke about neglecting all of the time. So um, that's something that I'm proud of because I didn't I always questioned if I would be able to work for myself, although I knew that I would never really... It wasn't in my, it wouldn't have been on my path to work for somebody else. I needed to work for myself. Was there a moment <clears throat> when you thought to yourself, wow, this, I can do this and this affects people and this affects me? The day that I received my business license, was the day that I thought, I have done it. I have achieved something that I had limited myself to believe that I might not should do it. And so when I actually went through the process, and it's so funny, I put all of this pressure on myself of all the loops I would have to jump through to make this happen. And I knew that it was what I wanted to do. I just didn't want to go through the process because I thought it would be horrible and it would take forever and it would change everything about how I worked and how I thought. And it literally was the easiest step in all of this was getting the certificates and the just getting the business set up. It was so easy. And if I had known that 10 years ago, I would have done it immediately. But yeah, that that moment, 
Actually, I, I can tell you the exact moment. Murphy's florist drove up my driveway and my siblings and my parents had sent me flowers that said, congratulations, you've done it. And I thought, I actually have. And I just, it blew me away. Well, and what makes you so great for, for, for this particular podcast is that you had a dream, you had an idea, you turned it into a business and you made it successful. Mm-hmm. That's America. Exactly. The opportunity, the opportunity was there, even though I wasn't looking for it. You know, you kind of, I realized that after. What was it about you that made you open to that? In other words, you were trusting your, you said, you were trusting your your gut. Right. You believed in yourself. Yes. You you can't whitewash over that. I mean, that's an important thing here, that you you believed that you could do this. Mm -hmm. I almost believed uh, there was no other way around that. I mean, it was like a big flashing light. This is what you're supposed to do. I never doubted it for a second once I fell into it. So, uh, and and then with each cake that you do, I I mean, I feel like I'm closer and closer. I don't know what I'm working towards, but for some reason, I feel like I'm coming more alive into it. I'm more moved by it. Um, It's just, you know, you're doing it right when you wake up in the morning and you just can't wait. I can't wait to get up. I can't wait to get going. I can't wait to see what what I'm going to do next. I can't wait to research something. Even with wedding cakes, I get excited to do those. So that's when I think that's when you know. You asked me earlier, being on your path. I know I'm on my path when I'm waking up excited. How do people find you? It started out word of mouth, and it still kind of is. Um, Instagram has been a huge game changer for me. I actually only started doing Instagram. I've had an account for a few years, but I didn't really start posting to it only a couple of months ago and it blew up. So um, by blew up, it blew up for me. I mean, it's not like crazy, but I've had so many opportunities come in from that channel that um, I would say it's been the most helpful to me. What would you say to um, people today um, about following your dream? Don't question it. I think you know, and if you know, you stop the chatter around you and you hone in on it and you make it happen. And you just do it step by step, one day at a time. It seems that uh, with each additional piece, you continue to raise the bar. That's important to me. Why? I don't want to be stagnant in what I'm doing. You always want to be, you know, I keep looking for more fear. <laughs> Cheers to fear. I never thought I'd say those words, but I'm, I'm constantly searching for ways to be a little bit terrified in what I do because the result of that is the bar going up another notch. So sky's the limit. You've always got room to grow in everything, not just in your, you know, your dream, your life, everything that you do. There's always a little bit more that you can do. Thanks to Lane McGibbony and all the good folks at Boutwell Studios for all the TLC required to bring this podcast to life. And audio engineers Joe Beeman and Jonathan W. Hickman. Remember... 
everyone has a special talent. You just need to identify it, cultivate it, and be willing to pay the price. You too can become an American Achiever.